Hello and welcome to Murder on Her Mind. I'm Caitlin Riley and I'm your host of this podcast. Well everybody, hello, happy Thursday. I hope you're all doing well. Um, my day is going well. I literally haven't done anything. Uh, just run around kind of doing housework and that's literally been it. Um, and for my week, nothing exciting to report. Um, work has been quiet. Life's pretty quiet. And uh, that's been... Oh. Excuse me. COVID. I feel like everyone... It's just like a thing now when you sneeze. Everyone just kindly like... Or kind of just turns to you like side eye being like... COVID. It's like, no, just a sneeze. Um, But yeah. So my life has been very, very... um, And exciting... I have my group therapy that I go to. That's been really fun. Um, we have set up a group chat now. So that's really nice just to do that with the girls. And um, I made like a My Favorite Murder quote. And uh, no one really got it. So that was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but no. Um, that's that's really been my life. Um, last night we watched a really good Dennis Nelson show um about like his like life and it was like a two hour long documentary and that was on ITV3 last night in the UK so uh we watched that and that was fantastic it was really well done and um, had like it went into like a lot of depth as well um I believe that was like probably like my maybe like my 10th episode or something it was it was it was close it's not it's not that been that far but it's a really fucked up story if you haven't listened to it um so it was called like the real the the, the true story behind Dennis Nilsson but other than that, I haven't watched anything. Like, since I recorded last, I have just been coming home, um, you know, meal prepping and then going straight to bed. Um, So my life has literally been so, so bland. Uh, my parents are going camping this weekend, so I'm left to hang out with my, my um, siblings. And um, I'm going to have, it was two of my really good friends' birthdays during the week. My friend Daniel, who's been like my best friend forever, he's... um god since i moved to canada so he's been my friend for almost eight years and then uh, my other really good friend sirsha who's also been my friend for the last eight years it's her birthday um they have like a three days party thing for their birthday so i'm gonna have like a little fire pit in the back garden for them on sunday so that'll be nice um just to like see people but be safe and outside and shit so um you know, I went to the pub, what was it, last Friday, but I don't want to be doing that, or I guess two Fridays ago from where I'm recording from and when you guys are listening. Um, and I don't want to be doing that all the time because it's just not safe and it's also a lot of money. Um, but Chris has almost finished school, so I'm really happy for him. Um, then he's going to go work in BC until I think we go to England, which is totally fair. Um, don't blame it at all. Just make some money before we get going. And I was reading on the news that hopefully the UK is opening by June 21st of 2021. So we'll see. Um, Everyone's very skeptical about that because it's very hard to plan. Um, Just like when we thought COVID um, wasn't going to, or our lockdown wasn't going to be more than two weeks this time last year. And on my Facebook memories, because I'm recording on, I think it's February, what day are we on? February 26th I'm recording. This is obviously going to be coming out uh, the first week of March, but it's it was a year ago today. Me and my brother left to go to England and Portugal for two and a half weeks, and it was fantastic. 
Um, so that really made me sad. I was like, I, I just got back before um, COVID really hit the fam. So I got back on like March 11th, went to, or sorry, back on March 10th, went to work on March 11th, got sent home that day, had to go get tested. I was like tested for what? Cause like really I didn't know a whole bunch. Like it was just kind of one of those things. Oh, you know, has it, is it actually going to affect us? Um, and then I didn't get rid of my results back till a Saturday. And that was on like, I think it was a Thursday that I got tested. Didn't get my results back on the Saturday night to like, I think it was like 9 p.m. And I was like, oh my God, they're calling me at 9 p.m. I, I have, I have COVID. They wouldn't call me this late if I didn't have it. And then it was negative, of course. And I called my boss. My boss opened my schedule um, on the Sunday morning. By the Sunday night, we'd been shut down by um, the government of Alberta. So um that's how fast it happened and then I was like oh my god but I just came back I was like I need to make money I'm like I'm gonna be out of money for nearly like four and a half weeks because we thought it was just gonna be two weeks long and then it ended up almost being four months but you know what um it really made me appreciate like living where I live and getting out and just really enjoying my summertime without having to like you know work and um do this like whole nine to five thing you know it really made me appreciate slowing down and you know hanging out with my family we we all went camping like that's literally how I spent the first part of my COVID which I know is like different for everyone else and maybe everyone else's worst nightmare but um we I really appreciate it and I'm actually really jealous of how amazing my summer went last year um even though COVID existed it was great so I honestly think that's all I have to update you guys on there's literally nothing nothing exciting um I think I don't know if I told you guys that I've been saying Tupperware wrong the whole time I've been calling it tub with you know like a tub that you soak in um so that's fun fact for you guys I also made a TikTok very proud of it it's almost got 50 likes I'm basically TikTok famous give me the verified tick let's start making some money off the internet you know um not the case but I was even joking with Chris. I was like, this girl, I was um, watching her video on TikTok. And she's like, she's like, oh, yeah, like, um, I just made 10 grand alone this month from putting my toes up on OnlyFans. And I was like, Chris, I should do that. And he was like, what the fuck? He's like, you want to sell your toes on the internet? And I was like, well, I'm just joking. I was like, hey, you know what? There's money to be made. And if there's be- these people with their weird fetishes, I'm like, you can't bash someone for making money, okay? Like, that's, that's all I'm just trying to say. <laughs> no, I could never. I'm way too awkward. And I'd be like, they'll know my toes. They'll know my toes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's get into it. Episode 32. Um, please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. I appreciate when you guys really do that. I know it's annoying that I ask that every single episode. But it's what helps to like, move up into the charts, uh, charts and gets people... Um, or gets me like recognized for people who are really into true crime and stories um I'm really excited about today's episode because it's something that I'm obsessed with and always have been it's just a really fascinating story Alrighty, well enjoy listening okay so for today's episode we are going to be doing the deaths on Mount Everest I love this story I always have like what's well, on story it's multiple stories um, I find it so fascinating. Um, I, me and my really good friend were talking about this. Like, 
I love not natural disaster movies. I think it, they're so, so good. Um, speaking of natural disaster movies, you should definitely check out Greenland. Um, that's on Amazon Prime right now. Um, it's got Gerard Butler in it. He's from PS I Love You with the most awful Irish accent I've ever heard from someone who's Scottish. But, you know, it's really hard. It's a really hard accent. And I can't do a Scottish accent. So who the heck am I talking about? Like, you know, um, but really good movie. So definitely check it out. Um, but another natural disaster movie that I love based off of Everest is actually called Everest. It's got Jake Gyllenhaal in it. Um, it's fantastic. And it's basically about this, like, I think it's a group of eight troopers that kind of go up to the top of the mountain and they all just basically start slowly dying. And it's based off a true story. Fantastic. I am obsessed with that movie. Um, I think on Can- in Canada, you can't find it anywhere without renting it, but I think it's like only like $5 to rent. So definitely check it out um my kind of biggest flex is that my um, uncle my uncle dominic in london um he got to base camp of uh, the base camp of everest years and years ago um my mom's side of my family is huge into like traveling and backpacking and stuff and like they've been to like nepal and india and all these different places and yeah he just decided you know what? i'm gonna get to the base camp of my everest which i think is really cool I'm glad he didn't go much further because he probably wouldn't have survived it because it's a death trap up there. Um, I don't even like hiking in general. Um, I'm a scaredy cat. I don't like coming down mountains or hills or anything, just like skiing. I'm just a big pussy and I don't care. Fight me, whatever you want to do. I hate it. I hate it. I love, I love being outside and I love the outdoors. But why? Why do I have to go up scary mountains and risk falling down and hurting myself or a bear getting me? Um, so yeah, not my jam. And um, I, I, you know, I always make a list of like what who I'm gonna be or what stories I'm gonna be talking about for um, you know, my weeks to come of like my podcasts and stuff. I think it's funny that I chose this week to do the story as. Um, two of my really good friends got in an accident out in the mountains um, um, last Sunday. Um, I'm not going to get into details about it because it's their story to tell. But um, yeah, just be careful out there. And uh, I think it's kind of whack that I have chose this. But yeah, it was in my list. I was like, I know I want to do this story. It's my favorite story. And now they're probably going to be like, oh, the drama. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, just be careful out there when you are out in the mountains in the wintertime and in the summertime. Just be careful in general. Everywhere you will die. That's my. That's literally what my, my dad, Eamon O'Malley, has taught me. He's like, basically, if you do this, you die. Essentially, if you leave your house, you die. But if you stay in your house, you die. If you lie in bed too much, you'll die. Everything will kill you. <laughs> that is why I have anxiety. It's I figured out, you know. <laughs> um, he's made me choose some wise uh, decisions. That's for sure. I'm, I'm not one for really risking it for the biscuit. My biggest risk was probably um, going to Cowboys in Calgary where they pre-pour your draft beers that are 25 cents eaten each and basically tastes like piss and uh, i would steal them as they would pre-pour them behind their backs because they would have them all pre-stacked so that that's my risk and i'm okay with that or doing nine kilometers over the speed limit just kidding i love speeding i don't do it don't speed it's bad 
Okay, so let's move on to some facts about Mount Everest first, because I love facts. I love a good general knowledge quiz. Give it to me. I just think it's the best thing ever. I did a general knowledge quiz with all my family back in England and Ireland last week, and I love it. I got to ask questions this time, so I'm like, here we go. What's India's main export? Oh, you think it's spices. Oh, you think it's rice. Wrong. It's petroleum. Bet you didn't know that. Boom. Roasted. Um, yeah, I, I love general knowledge. It's great. Uh, okay, so Mount Everest. Here we go. So Mount Everest is part of the Himalayan range and it's the tallest, uh, tallest peak and it's around 29,016 feet high and it's still growing at a height of about 40 centimeters, 16 inches per century. Um, so if you love like you know mountaineering and stuff like that and you're like oh you know i think i could do mount everest i think i have the balls to do it well you better be rich because um it costs about thirty thousand us dollars to climb the mountain um and you'll need to spend a shit ton of money on transportation guides training and professional gear on top of that so um the first recorded person to reach the summit of everest was in 1953 since then more than 4,000 different people have stood at the top of Everest over 7,000 times. Um, some of them are, and most of them are, um, Sherpa guides um, that have climbed it more than once. Now, those guys, like, their lungs are climatized to this. Like, let's just say that first. Uh, you living in Los Angeles or in the back end of Ireland or in fucking, I don't know, Sweden, you're, no, your lungs are not going to be climatized enough to do this. Prepare yourself. I'm talking like I've done it. Yes, I have climbed it. Um, I've climbed it three times. Just said I haven't climbed any mountains. Well, jokes on you. I've actually climbed Everest. I'm a pro. Just kidding. Um, it actually takes um at least ten weeks to climb Everest. Uh, to climb Everest, you need to adapt yourself to the high altitude first. Um, that means you have to do training between base camps over and over again. Uh, when you're ready to go when the weather is good uh you can go to the peak and that's also a huge thing too is being able to go right when um you know there's certain times of the day as well that you have to like leave so you can actually meet the peak without um these storms blowing in which is a huge huge disadvantage to people when they want to um get there is the weather so the average death rate is about four percent um most people die to avalanches falling in um to crevices and altitude sickness um, most of them died when descending. Hello, this is what I'm saying. This is what I am saying. Hello. Coming down the mountain is the scariest part. I don't even like hills. It's fucking scary. Imagine a bear coming to chase me. I'd have to fucking roll down the hill. Wouldn't even be able to run fast enough. My little legs, my little short leggings, his dad calls me. He calls legs like leggings, not like um like Lululemon leggings. It's like it's an Irish thing. Oh, your little leggings. Oh, your poor thing. Like it's, he's saying my legs, which I guess are leggings. Oh, hello. Right. <laughs> oh, hey, I went to go get tested for ADHD, but they had to do further testing for it. It takes a long time. I was like, fun. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely don't have it. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Anyways, here we go. Let's focus, Caitlin. Focus. So, over 250 bodies remain on Everest, giving it the claim of the world's largest open-air graveyard. Yum. Wow. Nice. 
Um, while most Mount Everest deaths occur due to avalanches, falls, and exposure to the harsh climate, um, the area known as the death zone holds terribly high body count and comes with its own unique set of problems. So let's get into some of the stories here of the bodies left on the mountain. Um, let's start off with Green Boots, as Green Boots is like the most popular. Um, I feel like everyone, excuse me, everyone knows about Green Boots or heard of it if they've, um, uh, you know, done any sort of research into Everest and, excuse me, the movie. So, uh, climbers taking the North Cove route to Everest exclusive summit inevitably end up passing the mountain's most infamous landmark, Green Boots. While it sounds like it's a unique proportion, proportion um, or hidden uh, crevice in the Everest face, Green Boots is actually the frozen body of a fallen climber that earned his nickname because of the brightly coloured hiking boots he was wearing. And they almost look like um, ski boots when I look at them. Like, that's what I see. Uh, while Green Boots' identity has always been uh, wholly contested, uh, he is widely believed to be an Indian climber. Now, huge apology. I have no idea how to pronounce these people's names. Even, like, looking it up on, like, you know, Google and, like, um, YouTube and stuff. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to butcher these guys' names. So I'm really, really sorry if I am saying it wrong. So um, this Indian climber, his name is Tezwang Paglor. Uh, Paglor um, was part of a high-class Indian expedition to the summer Everest that yielded only one survivor. Again, I'm so sorry if I'm saying this wrong, this uh, name wrong. So Harbanyan Snai. Oh, the reason why I think it's Snai is because we have um, a bucko here in Canada who goes by Snai and he's in politics. Uh, Snai recalled that the one expedition was uh, marred by mistakes and he had urged the other three men to abandon their quest due to um, inclement weather heading in. So Snai suspects his um, men uh, succumbed to the uh, summer fever. Um, and summer fever is actually like a term used when climbers are bound in the thoughts of safety. Like they're just like so gung-ho to get to the top. They're like, I don't care how much of a risk this is i need to get there and nothing can stop me uh, obviously apart from dying um and often in their own morals they like just their basic morals in life they seem to lack uh because they are so close to reaching the summer and become blinded by the drive to cross the finish line over everything else in making the decisions um, so in quotes, don't be overconfident, Sai insisted. Listen to me, please come down. The sun is going to set, as he said to his friend, Green Boots. Um, and while the men continued on the um on, they eventually did end up reaching the summit. They encountered a terrible blizzard of nineteen ninety six and the track back down with zero visibility and a fury of wind and snow. Uh Palior and his two comrades were lost in the mountain. Over time, Palior simply became known as Green Boots and has become a permanent fixture of the North Cole Passage. For the past two decades, climbers have used Green Boots as a, um, like a marker on the trail um, to gauge how far they have left on their own race to the summit. As of 2014, Green Boots was finally dropped to a lower location over the side of the mountain where he joined the remains of other fallen climbers that had been cleared off the main 
uh, mountain route um that's like something too that i uh, want to talk about as well that part where they drop off all these other bodies or move them they can't get them all the way down the mountain but they move them to a specific type of the mount or uh, spot in the mountain so next we move on to i think what would be like the next the second most infamous person on everest would be um sleeping beauty so the final hours of sleeping beauty were no fairy tale at all as she begged for her life now this has to tie in too with summer fever and the people who are actually um trying to help her and how they were struggling with summer fever so um again i'm extremely sorry for mispronouncing any names so uh francis arsenative and her husband, Sergi, were avid climbers who caught to conquer the Everest in 1998. Frances had a goal to become the first American woman to summit Everest without the use of supplemental oxygen. You're being cocky. Don't do that. There's oxygen for a reason. We actually, believe it or not, as humans need oxygen. Um, after two aborted attempts, she finally succeeded but was never able to celebrate her achievement. Due to their lack of um, supplemental oxygen, the couple moved down slowly and were not able to summit until very late on the day of May of twenty second, May twenty second, uh, which forced them to spend another night in the death zone. Uh, the couple became separated during this final evening, and Sergey made his way down to the camp camp five, assuming that his wife had done the same because they had lost each other. He's thinking to himself, "Okay, well, the only place she would really think about going is back down." Um, so you know when these like storms come in it's very hard for you to even visualize things and see where you're going um so you know in his head he's like okay well she's probably just gone down which i think most people would do because it's like do you take the risk of just sitting up there and waiting until it clears and finding them and you dying and then your wife is down at the base camp or do you think okay no she's more than likely gone down to the base or not one of the camps not base camp sorry so um he assumed that she was down at the camp and upon discovering her absence Sergei raced back up to the top with oxygen and medicine in hopes of rescuing his wife so he got back down to the camp realized she hadn't made it and now he's decided to go back up well accounts vary on may 23rd uzbek team found francis half alive and unable to move her <clears throat> on her own they carried her down as far as they could until their own oxygen ran out and they had to leave francis um and descend to the camp along the way they passed sergey on his way up to her he was never seen alive again which is so sad i just the story is so heartbreaking to me um it was sleeping beauty's haunting final hour that um cemented her own legend on may 24th climbers ian woodall and kathy o'dowd saw a lovely sorry not a lovely saw a body sorry saw a body raggedly jerking in the shadows of the first step one of the three steps of the northeast ridge francis was severely auctioned to pride she was frostbitten and had still attached her climbing line she was still attached to her climbing line um she kept murmuring murmuring quote don't leave me here don't leave me here to die which is so so sad um, the team abandoned their first attempt to summit to spend over an hour trying to save her between um, the players location Francis slipping in and out of consciousness and their own oxygen running out the team made a painful decision to leave her and return to camp for nine years climbers scaled around the frozen beauty and become part of Everest landscape in 2007 would all return to the mountains and drop to sleeping beauty 
uh, to a lower face where she can slumber in eternity so no one can no longer um, use her as a marker for other climbers to reach the summit. I just think that's like one of the saddest stories and especially, you know, um, because her husband went up in hopes of finding her. Like the panic, the sheer panic of just being like, holy fuck, my wife is still up there, my girlfriend or whoever it is. I just think it's so awful. Okay, so um, next we'll move on to David Sharp. So British mountaineer David Sharp, he made his trek to the top of Everest without any aid of oxygen, radio, Sherpas or teammates. This guy's got a huge dick. Like, he's just like, yeah. You can just tell. You know how you in Alberta here, we're like, oh, small dick syndrome. You got a big truck. This guy, no, not the case. Not the case. Um, his first two attempts were aborted due to prolarious conditions, including um, ravaging frostbite that took several of his toes. His little tootsies, gone, off with the wind. Um, he successfully submitted, uh, summited, not submitted, summited Everest on the third try. And during his ascent, he stopped to rest inside Greenboots Cave, um, uh, mere feet from Greenboots himself. Um, being disoriented and suffering exhaustion, Sharp drew his legs to his chest and rested his head upon his knees and never woke up. Um, and again, because it's so cold, his body obviously stayed in that exact shape however david sharp did not perish right away over 40 different climbers passed him on the mountain and noted that he was still alive but in no distress um outrage poured from around the world at the knowledge that sharp was left moaning and murmuring to climbers who refused to abandon their quest um, to the top to help him so again it's that summer fever they see him they want to help him but they're also like we're so close to the top let's just help him on our way down 40 different climbers passed him so sir edmund hillary um who was the first person to ever successfully uh summit mount everest spoke out against mark inglis um and his team for allegedly seeing sharp's distress and continuing on towards the top uh, the whole attitude toward climbing Mount Everest has become rather horrifying, Hillary said. A human life is far more important than just getting to the top of a mountain, end quote. The unwritten code among climbers to abandon their quests in order to help um, others in their prill. On Everest, many believe that the standard code does not apply due to the difficulties involved in climbing the tallest mountain on Earth. Many argue that it's every man for himself and Everest has become a moral quote gray area inglis and his team um, attest that sharp was uh, completely frostbitten incoherent and beyond saving when they found him which you know you can believe because even trying to save one person can end up killing like five or six people because it it would be extremely hard just to take down one body and you know these are extreme conditions it's not some walk in the park that these people are coming down from you know, to carry another dead body, it's very, very hard. And do you make the decision, the call to save one person where you're putting like five or six of the people at risk? I think that's essentially what they're trying to say, which I could see. I, I can absolutely see. Um, so others stated that um, Immobile Sharp was mistaken for green boots and overlooked. Many said that Sharp was left on purpose, becoming just another victim of the climber greed and summit fever. The sad truth is it's too hard to save yourself on Everest, let alone rescue others. 
And that's exactly the point I was just trying to make there. So uh, Hannelore Schmatz was a German mountaineer who successfully summited Everest on October of 1979. Um, apparently she was the first female to have done that. So on the way down, Halora and her teammate Ray Gannett uh, were overcome with exhaustion and despite their Sherpas pleading to continue to Camp 5, they decided to spend the night inside the death zone. They set up a temporary camp without any cover, which was basically just sleeping bags. Um, overnight, uh, there was a severe snowstorm that left Ray Gannett to pass due to hypothermia. Shortly afterwards, um, Hannelore uh succumbed to the exhaustion with a mere 330 feet from camp her final words to have said to be water water attempts to retrieve her remains in 1984 resulted in the falling ends of two men due to the extreme winds in the southern slope for years climber at camp five would uh, gaze upon Halor's cadaver 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 that's it cadaver um, still leaning against her long since deteriorated backpack with her eyes wide open and her hair blowing in the wind. As time dragged on, she slipped and became known as the German woman. Eventually, the high women swept Hanlor's remains down to the Kangsheng face. Um, Hanlor Schmatz was, was not only the first German citizen, but also the first woman to perish at the t- upper slopes of Everest. Okay, so then we're moving on to um, Mallory. So George Mallory. So George Mallory was one of the oldest bodies on the mountain and wasn't discovered until 1999, nearly 75 years after he had died. Uh, George Lee Mallory was the most famous mountaineer of his time and arguably of any time. So to this day, no one is sure whether he and his climbing partner Sandy Irvine reached the summit of the mountain on 8th of the june 8th um 1924 so there is like a huge i guess argument on you know if they had even made it to the top and you know when you when you look at like hillary who is this other allegedly the first person actually ever met reached the summit compared to mallory um people are always arguing well you know there's lots of evidence to show the uh that mallory did um reach the top because you know, Hillary was like years later and um, that he actually had evidence that he reached the top. So let's kind of get into the story and we will find out. So um, to this day, no one is sure whether, he, uh, whether him and his climbing partner, Sandy Irvine, reached the summit of the mountain on the uh, June 8th of 1924. Uh, they were climbing dressed in tweed using incredibly primitive equipment to today's standards, including very chunky oxygen bottles and yet when they were last sighted. So these people in 1924 would use oxygen bottles, but this guy in 1990 would not. Just don't understand that. Anyways. Um, so, and yet when they were last sighted, they were just a few hundred vertical feet short in the summit. And according to a fellow expedition member, Noel Dell, quote, going very strongly for, for the top. So, um... And there's another quote here as well. Um, quote, they were last sighted and they were just a few hundred vertical feet short of the summit and apparently climbing well. 
Neither man returned, however, and the question of whether or not they made it remains one of Machineering's greatest mysteries. An expedition was launched in 1990 to try and find Mallory's body and perhaps solve the issue. Yet when they found Mallory and his um, mummified corpse, um, it revealed very little. He appears to have fallen to his death and from the rope injury around his waist, it had been deceased and Irvine was roped together when they fell. So they both fell to their death, essentially. Um, so the two pieces of circumstantial evidence, which is why people think they actually were the first people to um, reach the top of that Mallory was. So the two pieces of circumstantial evidence suggest that they may have made it. Mallory was found with a pair of snow goggles in his pocket. Had he taken them off to see better because the sun had gone down? That would imply that he, um, he, it was late when he fell, suggesting that they were summited and were making their way back down. He also carried a photo of his wife. This is my favorite fact of the story. I love this, but it also makes me sad. Like, but it's just so cute. Anyways, um, he also carried a photo of his wife, Ruth, with him, uh, which he promised her that he would leave on the top of the mountain. But despite the documents in his wallet being well-preserved, no photo was found. That, that to me, is a huge indicator that he left it up there. Because um, I believe that he um, wanted to leave the photo of his wife at the summit when she reached. Which, when they look in his wallet, everything else is well-preserved except the photo of his wife, which is gone. And I'm guessing she knew that and she could also, um, you know, kind of, I guess, um, testify against that. So, however, the main hope of 1999 expedition that they were they would be sorry. However, the main hope of the 1999 expedition that they would find the camera Malloroy and Irvine carried and um, conclude the photographic evidence either way was dashed. The vest pocket of Kodak was nowhere to be found. When asked why he wanted to climb, um, when asked when they asked Malloroy why he wanted to climb, um, the end the then unconquered Everest, uh, Mallory famously replied, quote, because it's there. Um, whether or not there is a reason worth dying for this open debate, but it is one of the, um, but it is one that has driven thousands of climbers to follow the footsteps ever since. So um, the one I wanted to look for here was the mass of the remains as created as an um, I guess an intentional palette of colors. So along the northwest ridge near Ever Everest Summit, um, it's called Rainbow Valley. Uh, while the name may suggest happiness and hope, Rainbow Valley is essentially the mass pit of remains. The massacre scene got the name from all its vibrantly colored jackets and climbers gear that are still attached to the um, cadavers strewn from each section of the mountain. Climbers along the route cannot help but notice this blatantly visible spectrum of colors as they take particular passage. Throughout the years, climbers have been known to push uh, cadavers over the mountainside into Rainbow Valley or cut the ropes of mummified remains so, the way, um, so that it is way less hazardous um, for those embarking on the trail. According to the Nepalese law, Everest is sacred. Um, and any remains to be removed immediately. However, the dilemma lies in the fact that since there is nearly impossible to retrieve remains from the death zone, they must stay where they are. A Rainbow Valley will only continue to occur, um, occur more hues for its palate. Um, so 
that is the many many stories and there is many more um you know stories like uh, actually you know what really quick i'm gonna tell you one of my other interesting ones that i found too um was the first shredder he shredded the gnar dude coming down Mount everest um so in 2001 a french snowboarder marco um, became the first person to successfully, successfully snowboard down Mount Everest using the North Cold Passage. Um, Marco, who had uh, come a long, t- long, of mountain- long line of mountaineers, was disappointed that he was unable to complete his actual goal of boarding down uh, Hornbeam Collier. I don't know how you say that. Uh, which, cons- which is considered to be the true face of Mount Everest. Um, Marco returned in 2002 at a time... Of the year when um, Everest would have been amassed more snow in an attempt to ride down the steepest the steepest slope on all of Everest, he reached the summit at a grueling twelve hours in the aid of his Sherpa friend, um, Purhab Tashi. Upon reaching the top, Purhab, I uh, was excited, um, but Marco did not have to share his outlook. He quoted, "I'm tired, I'm tired, too much snow, too much climbing." Which is really sad. So Marco had um, responded to that. Being so late in the day with the clouds beginning to uh, uh, fall in. um, It starts to get really stormy. The Sherpas urged uh, Marco not to make the ascent. But he refused to pass up the chance to conquer the holy grail of snowboarding. Uh, That was the last time Marco was ever seen alive. As the Sherpas were packing up uh, for Camp 3. They noticed a figure rise and then slide down the mantle on the north call. This is strange because um, Marco would have been nowhere near the north call passage, and he would—he was the only climber on Everest at that time of year. When the Sherpas investigated the area where they had seen the figure, there was no snowboarding tracks anywhere. Marco is forever shredding the mountain and the wind in his back and the smile on his face. So that's the final little story. There's so many and I want to read you more, but I'm like, nope, that's enough for today. But um, definitely check out. So I got most of my information off of Ranker um, and it it was just such a well done, um, you know, I guess story. And it's Sabrina Ithel who had wrote the the whole column here. And... um, it has 3.9 million views it's amazing and she goes into like all, all 12 um crazy stories that have happened on everest of like people's death and everything so it's absolutely amazing um and then the movie everest is really good too um there's lots of documentaries on prime as well so i would absolutely recommend giving those a watch and uh yeah i i have always been fascinated with those stories so i'm definitely gonna do like a lot more of those i know it's like a, not a murder story but it's cool it's really really cool um so if you have any cool like natural disaster or like survival stories or like you know even airplanes crashing and people surviving and all these things send them my way because i think those are fucking unbelievable um they're a lot i feel like they're almost like darker um because it's just so uncontrollable apart from obviously you make the choice to climb the mountain but um yeah if you want to do it get rich and uh climb out everest wear your oxygen tanks and uh, be smart <laughs> but anyways um thanks so much for listening please don't forget to rate reviews rate review and subscribe 
and uh, have a great Thursday. Bye-bye.